Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 234. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Hawkeye episode 3, Echoes, a Kevin Feige production directed by Burton Birdie, written by Katrina Mathewson and Tanner Bean, and the series has been created for television by Jonathan Igla. But before we begin this week's spoiler review, we want to let you know about Fan Show Plus. That is the podcast that is available to premium subscribers at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts if you just search for the MCU Fan Show channel or Fan Show Plus on Apple Podcasts. You can find it there and become a premium subscriber and get new episodes of that show. And on the next edition of Fan Show Plus, we will be talking about the Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse trailer as well as any news that may come out of the Spider-Man No Way Home press junket that is happening this weekend as we are recording this episode. And then also make sure you are following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Twitter and Instagram. And if you are enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much to everyone who's already taken the time to leave their thoughts. And now, on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? I'm doing very, very well. Went to Emerald City Comic Con. Thanks to my buddy uh, Alex from the Comic Book Historian's uh, YouTube channel, podcast, uh, website, whatever. He, he has all of those things. He's crazy. Um, but yeah, I had a great time. Uh, got to hold the, the camera for um, an interview with uh, DMC himself uh, for uh, his comic book. That, and got to see him spout his knowledge of comic books for like 10 minutes. That was rad. Um yeah, it was it was pretty cool seeing him kind of talk about the Run DMC and how the uh, superheroes and how he grew up loving superheroes and that's what he raps a ton about uh, in those classic Run DMC songs. So super cool to see him just kind of spout knowledge and uh, it was a good time. Good times. That sounds awesome. That sounds really really fun. And what's yeah. also really fun and what's also really cool besides DMC, DMC is of course cool. Also really cool are our listeners who shared some really nice things this week. Thanks to everybody doing their Spotify wrapped. Some of you called us out uh, via Spotify wrapped as your top podcast for 2021. And that was from people all over the world and different countries were checking out the show and enjoying it and having it be their favorite MCU fan show being their favorite podcast as they were listening to it on Spotify. And I know a lot of you don't listen to the podcast on Spotify, so we'll just assume that we are your favorite, and we will thank you for that as well. But I thought that was really cool, Paul, and I think it says yeah. a little something. It's very nice. It's a very nice compliment, more so than it was when I first started podcasting in 2008 when there were like eight of us, so it wasn't hard to be people's favorite podcast. Now it's much, much harder to be someone's favorite podcast because there are so many other choices out there. But thank you, everyone who actually took the time to share that feedback. That was awesome. It felt great. So we we really appreciate that. Yes. No, that was that was really cool. And I it's very humbling and, and, and honoring that people like listen to us. And again, I appreciate everyone that has, listens to us and and, and wants to you know jump in and conversations and on Discord or on Twitter or wherever and super appreciative. And again, we appreciate all of you. Yeah, we really, really do. I mean, we would probably want to have these conversations anyway, but it really helps to be having it in the midst of being part of a community that loves this stuff as much as we do and thinks these stories deserve the time and attention that we give them, which arguably 
too much time and attention that we give to these stories. But I don't know. Maybe I maybe there's just never enough. That's generally how I feel. <laughs> yeah. But yes. uh, we have a really special episode, not like the WandaVision a, on a very special episode sort of thing. We just have a really special episode of Hawkeye that we get to talk about this week. And you've already seen or heard probably rave reviews from others. And we are ready to join that chorus. This is one of the best episodes that we have been treated to from Marvel Studios on Disney Plus all year long, right up there with the best of the best, like the best episodes from Loki or episode eight of WandaVision previously on. We've had some really great ones this year, and episode three, Echoes from Hawkeye, is right there on that list. And it's a little too early to say, but maybe when it's all said and done, it ends up near, maybe at the top of that list. We'll see. That is a discussion for another time. But before we get into breaking down everything that we saw in this amazing episode, I do want to throw out some recommendations because people like this episode so much. And if you did, then there are some other things that you may also enjoy. This episode was directed by Bert and Birdie, and they have a film that last time I checked, it was still on Amazon called Troop Zero. It is an absolutely wonderful film that I think if you enjoyed this episode of Hawkeye, you would really like it. It was a huge part of what gave me confidence when we first learned that Bert and Birdie were going to be part of uh, the Hawkeye series and directing multiple episodes. I was so confident in that having seen and confident in their ability having seen Troop Zero. I think you'll enjoy it. It stars McKenna Grace, who a lot of people are uh, liking right now via her performance in Ghostbusters mm. Afterlife. Although I think with McKenna Grace, first thing I noticed her in was a movie she did with Chris Evans a few years ago called Gifted. I thought she was great in that. She's one of our young Carol Danvers in Captain Marvel a couple years ago. And then, yes, she stars currently in Ghostbusters Afterlife and Troop Zero, directed by Burton Birdie, which also features the always amazing Allison Janney. So make sure you check out that film. And then one of the guest stars in this episode who plays the character William Lopez, Maya Lopez, or Echo, her father, that is uh, Zahn McLarnan, and he is in a show right now called Reservation Dogs, which is on FX on Hulu. I've been talking that show up on Fan Show Plus on the Discord. I really think you should check out Reservation Dogs if you have not seen it. It is one of the best comedies of the year, as far as I'm concerned. For best comedy of 2021, it's Hacks or Reservation Dogs for, com uh, for the best comedy series. Make sure you check that out. And then one of the topics that is brought up in this episode of Hawkeye is some of the debate within the deaf community regarding the use of technology and a movie that deals with some of those issues, but is also just a really, really great film is a movie called Sound of Metal that was directed by Darius Martyr, and it stars Riz Ahmed, who you may remember from Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. That film, last time I checked, is also available on Amazon. So Troop Zero, Reservation Dogs, Sound of Metal, make sure you check those out. If you really like this week's episode of Hawkeye, I think you're going to like all three of those things. So check them out. Now, Paul, let's talk about episode three of Hawkeye. We're not going to do what we did last week where we just pick up right where we left off because that's not how this one happens. We don't have the same transition, the same immediate transition from episode two to three that we got from episode one to two. We have to go back and we meet a young Maya Lopez and shout out to Darnell Bassa who played the young Maya Lopez. She was outstanding playing Maya Lopez in 2007 
We see her in her classroom. She is reading lips whenever she can see her teacher speaking. And we see her also being accused of not paying attention. And yet there she is being the smartest kid in class. And then we get a conversation between Maya and her father, a very touching conversation where Maya is asking about dragons. And that conversation seems even more relevant in MCU terms because of the literal dragon. Dragons being from different worlds or maybe different dimensions, as we just saw in Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings. But thematically, there's another relevance to the conversation that, they're hap- uh, that they are having. Maya is the dragon living in another world, being deaf and not necessarily being able to access the other world and, and of those who can hear. And she even talks about that. Why am I not? In, I thought I was going to be in a school with more kids like me, as opposed to the school that I am currently in, and asking about her, asking her father about not being able to pay for that school, or whatever the case may be, and her dad says this wonderful thing of, you know, I can't put you in a school with anyone like you, because there is no one like you, Maya Lopez is one of a kind, a very sweet dad thing to say, of course, Um, but also getting into the conversation about dragons, Maya also being, when the dad had previously said that If dragons did come into our world, they would be stronger for it. Well, Maya will be stronger for being able to be a part of and jump between two different worlds, the world of the deaf community that she's a part of, as well as the world of those who can hear. And she's going to learn and be stronger being part of those two worlds by watching. And then we see Maya watching. But before we go to what she sees and what she reacts to and a certain uncle, Let's go ahead and uh, let's just talk about this conversation, Paul. I I thought the initial introduction in the classroom and then this conversation between Maya and her father were just great and really set the tone for the rest of what would follow. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I have a young daughter now and that scene with her dad just wrecked me. It just wrecked me. It wrecked me if I didn't have a daughter. But it really wrecked me when I watching that and knowing of you know my daughter and all the things that he said, you know, were, were it was it was a great scene. It was really great. It was it was really uh, well written because, like you said too, like it's also like you know mirroring it's mirroring what's going to happen in Shang Chi and and all and all these other things are are possible. But also what he's telling her, I love all of that. I love the double stuff that we got. You know, the basically you're doing you know double the work there, and just doing so so many great things with this dialogue, and I think also foreshadowing what she'll be eventually doing, obviously later on. I think with teaming up with Avengers and or whoever whatever they do in the for, you know the future, which will be great fodder for what we can talk about later on, um, in other episodes or even this episode. I don't know, but um, yeah, this scene was I get emotionally thinking about it to be honest because you know. Because obviously being you know being deaf is 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 a is a is a big uh, thing that's not really talked about or, or shown in um in, in mainstream things like we have now and I love how we're trying more to diversify and to give these things a more um uh more, more not whistle word I'm looking for not showing but just kind of making it more you know relevant to everyday people and making sure people realize that these people exist and they should not be ignored in in in, in media and things like that and I think it was very important. Amongst other things, you know, and and I think like Maya representing, you know, so many different things is 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 a such a great thing, and 
I just love the fact that we're we're getting that it what he's saying not only works from all those important you know I think you know standpoints, but it also talks about just about any anything that makes us different, right? And I think that to me is is you know I can imagine me having that conversation with my daughter if she was you know felt out of place in school for any reason, much less you know a, a, you know a disability or things like that being deaf or or whatever. I mean like. What it kind of takes that whole different meaning for of you know me saying those things to her regardless is you know about her feeling like an outsider, like you said about you know she there's, I couldn't put her you know she is the most special thing in the world to me so all those things that he was saying to her it just it just hit me just correct me and it really did set up a real it does a great job of setting up the character Echo and really caring for the character immediately. And I think that's important because we're not going to get Echo right off the bat of being on the side of angels, quote unquote. You know, I mean, we don't know what's exactly going on, but it's a great setup for her to show her the, the connection she has and that she's kind of fought her way through life, you know, at a very young age, you know, and because of her disability and things like that and how that's made her stronger. And I love that. It was a really, it was a great, great setup for the character and I think tone for the whole show, because the whole show, like we talked before, it's action packed. But mm-hmm. this moment really makes you just like it, it, it almost kind of sets you in a false sense of security a little bit. And I know it's kind of a weird thing to say for this episode, but it kind of does because you're kind of expecting like, oh, at least, at least for me anyway. I'm expecting like a big emotional, like, oh my God, here we go. And it, it kind of it writes itself in a sense of where it's not that afterwards but it makes me kind of think like it, it makes me view the episode a lot differently so the light-hearted moments really are they, they kind of leave you know, it, make, it makes me less kind of huh, and when it, but when there's emotional moments it makes me kind of go right back down to the oh my god so there's it kind of puts me in this really weird state which i really liked being in to be honest because all the action was so much fun i needed it but when it needed to get serious again and there's moments where it does get serious here or there that i go Oh, it, it does a great job of balancing me and making me care about these ep- this, these characters even more. So bravo to the opening of this episode. I totally agree with that. We were talking a little bit before we started recording the show, and we were talking about our own kind of internal debate of trying to figure out the best episodes that we've seen from Marvel Studios on Disney Plus this year and weighing this episode maybe against some of the other ones. Not that it's really about that, but for funsies, we'll have some awards later, but not on this podcast later. Uh, but I think the the word that you use, balance, is the right one because I've been a fan of that word balance relative to the MCU since way before Thanos tried to make it cool. And I, I think that's part of what's made the MCU so special and a lot of the movies so great is the balance that they have. I don't really think the MCU has ever used humor and action at the expense of the emotional heft that these stories can have and and what happens to these characters and the experiences that we see them go through. I think it just combines the humor and just adds it into the mix because that's just kind of how life is, or at least how it's been in my experience through life. And I've always enjoyed that about the MCU. And I think this episode may offer of any episode that Marvel Studios has put on Disney Plus this year may offer the best representation of what Marvel Studios does or has been doing on a regular basis in their films. As you mentioned, it starts with this emotional heft, and it's not necessarily, I say emotional heft, like it's this big, weighty thing, but it is tugging at the heartstrings because it is such a sweet Mm -hmm. and tender moment between 
a daughter and her father. And so it's working on that level. And then we will get these bigger, we will have um, some more straight comedy in the episode not long after this. And then we'll have a big action sequence. And then we'll go back to another tender scene uh, that, that will happen later on in this episode. Another just smaller, emotional, more intimate type of moment. That's very, very sweet. And then we're going back through, uh, and then we're getting back into the main plot of the story as it starts moving forward through uh, throughout the series. And so it's working on all these different levels almost simultaneously, but really just transitioning from these different things back and forth. And it all comes across just very, very seamless throughout this episode. It is so well done. And really, it's just brilliant direction by Burton Birdie. Incredible acting. So for Zahn McLarnan, as I said, Darnell Bassaw for Young Maya. And then, of course, we get into the stars of our show, Clint Barton, Haley Steinfeld, Alakwa Cox as the grown-up version of Maya Lopez, Echo. The acting is on point. The direction is on point. The writing is on point. Obviously, all of the action choreography and coordinating all and stunt oh. coordination, oh, all yeah. of that stuff is on point. It's everybody bringing their best into this episode of Hawkeye. And the result is this unbelievably fantastic, wonderful, wonderful episode that I love so much. And it's not like we needed this to recover from two so-so episodes. We love the first two episodes of Hawkeye. Yeah. And now it gets even better with this third episode. And it's it's so much of that is based on how it starts with this opening and, and our chance to meet Maya and... I don't want to move on from this flashback sequence just yet because there's some other big stuff that happens here. So we see how in her martial arts classes, how she's studying the weaknesses of her opponents and figuring out how she can beat them. We see her put that into practice. But also, as she's at one of her classes, her father speaks with her and mentions that her uncle is going to pick her up. We don't see the uncle. He doesn't speak, but we see a hand and we hear a little bit of a laugh that sure sounds like Vincent D'Onofrio. So everybody has immediately speculated that this is uh, Kingpin. I sort of share that. I don't know who else this would be. There are certainly a number of Marvel Comics criminals that you could point to, but between Fat Man Auto Repair and the the laugh, the, the suit, and everything that we're seeing there, it sounds like Vincent D'Onofrio... Uh, I'm in the same camp as everybody else thinking this is Kingpin. I, I don't see this being anybody other than Wilson Fisk. I mean, it might be, but that's not the direction I'm leaning. Well, I, I think with the what to me always sells it. And I, I didn't hear I don't hear the laugh. I I guess the first time I watched it, I didn't hear the laugh. And I, but for me, it's it's the the way that the, the what he's wearing, mm -hmm. the like it's like it feels like a suit. It feels like it comes straight from the Netflix series, like suits right. that he'd always wear. That's, it looked immediately like that. The way it, it, the cuffs are, everything just it felt immediately like that. And the fact they didn't show it, and I'm like, okay, yeah, it. This is probably this is probably it. And I, I again, we'll, we'll wait till the the eventual reveal of this because I just don't I don't know what it means yet. But I'm with with you with you, Sean. I this can't be. This has to be Kingpin. The way right. Vincent D'Onofrio keeps tweeting different weird things about sure. you know I don't know. It's it seems like it seems to it's it's like it's like it's very 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 likely going to happen, which is good. 
I think it's great. He's amazing in that role. So there's yeah. no reason to change that and swap out with another actor. If Vincent D'Onofrio is still available and wants to do it, then that's who you go to. If you want to have Wilson Fisk in the MCU proper and... You're right as far as us not knowing what that means. Just because Kingpin is there doesn't mean we get to assume that everything that happens in the Marvel Netflix shows with Daredevil is now canon in the mm -hmm. MCU proper. We don't really know the answer to that. For all we know, Marvel Studios has just said this guy's really good at it, so he's playing Kingpin in our universe too. Um, and it, it doesn't necessarily make everything that happened in the Marvel Netflix series canon, although you could even say that... Daredevil by itself, not including Defenders, uh, is canon, and that's it, depending on who else they pick up from any of these other shows, or if it's just going to be Vincent D'Onofrio and maybe Charlie Cox as Daredevil, depending on what happens there, which I would also enjoy because he is great as Matt Murdock, and there's no Fantastic. real need to change that. And uh, besides the, the reveal, maybe, of Wilson Fisk being in this series, we get another moment, as we speculated about last week, why is Maya Lopez or Echo, why is she even involved in this? Why does she have beef with Ronan? Must have lost somebody close to her. Ronan killed a bunch of people, and we get to witness that. So at Fat Man Auto Repair, which maybe was a chop shop or something like that, she's arriving there, and she sees, of course, that it, the place is under attack. And the Ronin is running around just slaying everybody, as he does, as we saw in Avengers Endgame. Maya finds her father, who tells her to go, and she says she won't leave him. He says, I'm already gone, which another gut punch, heart punch, whatever you got, mm -hmm. and tells her to uh, fly away, little dragon. And Ugh. it's just, it's a brilliant opening sequence for all of this. This entire flashback sequence for our introduction to Maya Lopez. I think this is about as good as you can do it. It's beautifully done. I loved every mm -hmm. minute of it. It sets up the character for this moment that we're where we're meeting her in the series, of course, as she's about to confront Clint Barton and Kate Bishop. It works beautifully in that respect, but it's also working for the series going forward and what we might be able to expect from this character. And then also on her own, because now we already know that she's getting her own her own series. And this is like the little mini Maya Lopez origin story that we mm -hmm. get in this flashback sequence. And I mean, I guess you could say the origin story is kind of continuing a little bit in this Hawkeye series. But now I'm really interested. The idea of an Echo series before was just this general thing of, well, it's Marvel Studios, it's MCU, so I'm probably going to like it because I generally like the things that they make. Hence, this podcast. <laughs> but... I want to have a more specific excitement about a character and about a story, right? That generally is the idea. And now right. I'm starting to get that for Maya Lopez. And I think I will have even more of that as the series goes on. And then in just defining this character and giving us some, some context for her right now, sure, she's an antagonist because she's going up against our heroes, but definitely not evil by any standard that I could look at right here. And... When we look at what she cares about and her wanting vengeance against Ronan kind of makes sense. I mean, these are people who loved her, people who took care of her, her father who was taking care of her, and Ronan took that person away. And Ronan was there killing without mercy, without compassion, without any understanding for who these people really were. And so this, as far as 
where Maya Lopez is right now and what she's doing, that's on Clint Barton, as far as I'm concerned. And we talked about this last week in, in the previous spoiler reviews about this being in many ways, a redemption story for Clint Barton, although his own choices in this episode show he's not fully ready to actually go through that redemption arc that he, I think he needs at this point. But Mm -hmm. uh, for Maya Lopez as well, there's some redemption to be found because I'm sure she's done some bad stuff. But at the same time, we we see that there's a certain honor and the loyalty that she has to her father, to her family, in wanting to protect them. Uh, because certainly her father was was there for her and is now gone because of Ronan. Yeah, this was a great setup. And again, I, I this is why I think the episode's written really, really well because there's so much setup they have this, and then it's then followed by such great action. It does a great job of really getting you up to speed of what what's going on kind of going forward. And I really like the idea because I, I didn't even think about it. You know, again, I try to avoid spoilers. I try to avoid these things knowing the comic books as well as I do. And when when I when I get confirmation that Ronan's a reason why Echo is going to be looking after their suit or whatever, it adds it does set up a great conversation later on, which we'll get to. But seeing the death of the, of, of her father, you know, it definitely reminds me of like man, like they they're doing a great job of setting up why. Not only for Echo herself, right? Why she's you know going after Ronan, et cetera, et cetera, but also the fact like why you're reminded again why Hawkeye himself, you know, Clint, I keep saying Jeremy Renner, Clint Barton is going after the suit and wants to bury it because of what he's done in the past. Like we we see that one scene in mm-hmm. Endgame, but we see a different side. Of, we see a, you know another part of this, and I like to see the fact that you know he was doing a lot of a lot of things, and he's made a lot of enemies. Right. And we're gonna see we're gonna see the consequences of that. I think obviously with whoever is pinching uh, Echo's chit or cheek when she's little, uh, her mm-hmm. uncle or whatever. You know, that's a that's a, gonna be someone he's affected too. And a great I, if that is truly Kingpin, which I'm assuming it is. It's going to be a great way of including him into the proper MCU and also a great way to get uh, Echo into the MCU using all these things that Clint Barton did from end game, you know, post uh, end game or whatever, or pre end game. And I, I love that. It was a great setup and a reminder of, again, telling the mainstream audience, I keep saying mainstream because not everyone reads the comics or remembers every little detail. Hell, I can't remember every little detail watches these movies and as you, everyone likes to point out to me. Uh, but, you know, so it's a great reminder for us to, you know, for the for the audience to say, oh yeah, I forgot, like Barton did some awful things. Not just like, oh yeah, you know, it, it reminds us, like, no, no, there's consequences to these to these actions, and I like that. And I love the how that it's played in later on, which I can't yeah. get into. I can't wait to get into. Well, it adds more complexity to it morally, yeah. Because I think exactly. what you see in Endgame, the way it's presented, is this guy that Clint Barton is killing, or the gang that he's killing in Tokyo yeah. in Endgame, they're bad. They're all just mm-hmm. really, really bad, unquestionably bad. We don't, we're not introduced to or shown anything human or decent about them in a way. We're not really supposed to, we're supposed to understand that that Clint Barton is acting as a vigilante and murdering people. So yes, that's technically bad, but there's a difference between knowing in your head that something is bad versus actually feeling the complexity of it and a moral choice that a character is making. And this adds a completely different context to it, where before Clint Barton kills William Lopez, we get to see some of who William Lopez is, and we sweet we see the sweet, kind, caring father 
not necessarily whatever criminal activity William Lopez was a part of working for possibly Kingpin. And so when you see that, it shows what Clint Barton was doing was not taking into account, right? As Ronan, if you were a criminal or part of a criminal organization, you were all the same and all judged the same. That's what Clint Barton was doing. As uncomfortable as that might make us with that idea of it as fans of the character, that's what he was doing. And that's why he thought so little of himself about what he had become when he was talking about it with Natasha on Vormir, because he was doing something really, really bad. And we see the consequences of that because I don't know what William Lopez has done in all parts of his life, but in the little bits that we saw here, I didn't see a guy who deserved to be cut down. And so that's where I think it adds a context where it really, it really hits home in a way that I don't think it quite did in Avengers Endgame. Not a criticism of Avengers Endgame because that wasn't the plot of Avengers Endgame, but for yeah. this story to reconcile what Clint Barton was doing, you have to show a different layer to it. And I think they did a great job of showcasing that in this sequence. Yeah. And it's such a short, short amount of time too. Again, this set up with the fact that, you know, this guy has a daughter he's love and loves and cares about. And he obviously has, again, he loves his daughter and he's going to try to do whatever he can for her. And then you see him die. We see, we don't see the bad things like you said, and it's so done in such a short fashion that when, because Ronan shows up, Sean, we assume that he is associated with bad people. Right. You know, I, again, and that's the thing. Like, so it's very curious that the, again, whoever her uncle her quote unquote uncle, whoever that is, what does that represent? What is all that? And again, what maybe we could, and I am assuming he's probably done some bad things, her dad being, but what if he does kill her dad? And he didn't do any bad things, but because he was a part of this right. criminal organization, he's, you know, he worked for the, the, the fat man's auto repair. He just wasn't a repair guy that he was close friends with, but he was outside. It, it will show Clint to, you know, I mean, obviously he's got a lot to learn. We can always learn as we get older, but this may be able, uh, well, kind of set him up to help Kate understand, like there's consequences to your actions. You can't assume these things are all related or whatever. Again, I don't know who knows, but the whole idea of consequence reactions and what is evil, what is bad, what, you know, taking things on in your own, like being your own judge and jury, there's consequences for that. And I love how that's all set up in a real quick minute. And again, well-written because you got a great setup from the uh, scene before, mm -hmm. and then it's then followed up later on, which again, I can't wait. There's great, there's great stuff in here. Really great stuff. It's so great that we've spent almost a half hour on it and we're still only talking about the opening flashback. This is what we do here. Oh, God. Let's get to oh. the present of this series, shall we? And pick up where we left off at the end of episode two. So it is the catch and release plan where Clint Barton has got himself caught, not doing so great on the release part of it. And now Kate Bishop has also added herself to the mix. They are both still being held captive by the tracksuit mafia. And they've been going on those little, like, co those coin operated little kid things, uh, the unicorn, the rocket ship, or whatever. Apparently all night, uh, they've been going on those things, and Kate Bishop finally gets a chance to say something to Clint, and uh, that he must be glad she's here, and then he points out that, well, I was about to clear your name before you, once again, added yourself back into the Ronin mix. And Kate uh, picks up on the distress that Thomas is feeling, as he's ha clearly having an argument over the phone. And Thomas explains how his girlfriend is going to an Imagine Dragons concert without him, even though Thomas bought the tickets. 
Thomas was actually the Imagine Dragons fan. Uh, I loved Kate Bishop's comeback, though, of like, look on the bright side. You don't have to go see Imagine Dragons. Just amazing. Well done. <laughs> Perfectly good slam <laughs> on Imagine Dragons by the one and only Kate Bishop. Yeah, that was a that was a really interesting take. You know, when she said that, I'm like, yeah, it's a good point. And when he said that, oh, I love the band. I'm like, oh god, and it's it was a, it was a good setup. It was a, it was a very good setup for sure. Yeah, I, I really liked it. And this this whole thing with the tracksuit mafia, they are so much fun. And so we did have this more emotional introduction with the flashback from Maya, and then there there's the balance that comes in. We have an opportunity to lighten things up a little bit because that's just what the tracksuit mafia allows, along with. Kate Bishop and Clint Barton, and they're back and forth, and we just continue to see that magical chemistry between Jeremy Renner and Haley Steinfeld as the uh, as the stars of this show. But even when Kate Bishop gets into, well, you both owe apologies, and she explains what was what went wrong, and he says, "Hold on, I gotta go get a pen." Just amazing. Well, so well done. Uh, Maya finally comes downstairs, and she wants to communicate with Clint Barton via sign language. But Clint Barton is not fluent like she is, and he explains that he is hard of hearing, not deaf. So Kazi, played by Fra Fee, uh, interprets, and Maya is telling Clint that he relies too much on technology, and he'd be better off without his hearing aid. And that's why I highlighted and recommended The Sound of Metal uh, earlier on in the show, because that is a very real debate within the deaf community of whether or not being deaf is something that needs to be fixed for anyone, certainly not necessarily fixed via technology. And there are different points of view on that. And we see Maya's take on it that Clint Barton would be better off without the hearing aid. And obviously she does not use one. So uh, Clint explains uh, that Kate, uh, Kate Bishop isn't Ronan, says that Ronan is Ronan is dead and he was killed by Natasha Romanoff. So I talked about mm. the redemption arc and the things that Clint's not necessarily admitting here. And it's more about what he doesn't tell Kate Bishop later on in the episode. But here is Clint not coming clean. He's not saying, I know that Kate isn't Ronan because I am. I was. He doesn't want to say out loud that that's what he did. And you could say that the reason Clint Barton is not admitting this right now is because it would mean his immediate death. And that's probably true. But at some point, Clint Barton is going to need to confess. So that moment, though, of Clint Barton, he's making a lot of sacrifices for Kate. But one of the easiest thing he could do to clear her name, except, as I said, granted, it would probably mean his death, I would be to say, well, she can't be Ronan because I am. He's not ready to bring himself to say that right now. I love this. I loved the fact that when when Echo comes up to Clint and is talking about Ronan, he it's it's like this guy has faced every crazy death, you know Thanos in the face, you know brought in like the the freaking Infinity Stones from you know from the Vormir and all all this crap, and when it comes down to it, he can't admit that he was Ronan to the, to someone like that. He doesn't even know what he did yet. Right. And I, I, I love, and this is why I love the setup from the previous, you know, this whole thing from setup from the previous scene when, when he, when Ronan kills her dad, it reminds you of what, how reckless he was. Right. And that he doesn't even know what he did. And the fact that she, like, he doesn't even know what's going on yet. We do, but he doesn't. And he still can't admit it to her, like to out loud that he was Ronan is just, it shows you that there's a lot of growing still to do for this character. And I loved it. 
I love the fact, you know, because you could very easily, you know, the show could be very lazily written, which it's not, obviously, I love it. Um, but it, it very well could be easily and lazily written to be like, okay, I'm going to help you with Kate Bishop, blah, blah, and help you. And you, you have Kate do all the growing here. Right. And in the, and all, all you have Hawkeye do is grow. Oh, I, I learned I could, you know, it's good to you know, move on or whatever, but like, no, no, no. Like it's not just move on, but like he is holding on to this. He's so ashamed of what he was mm-hmm. that it's like, you know, he goes through the depths of taking the costume and getting that every every chance he can and now when someone comes up to him is like you know i they want to find out who he is and he just assumes like oh, i did something wrong whatever but like he's like i, I, I it wasn't you know they're they're, they're dead or they're dead mm-hmm. it, i just love that it was such a great moment and i think that we're gonna get real again we're gonna get real stakes here emotionally with echo and hawkeye later on and i think i can't wait to see that you know come into fruition so this to me, this is a great setup for what we're going to be seeing later on in the series, and I think also you know again gr- growth for Clint Barton to grow yeah, as a yeah. character and to get that to get that um, that closure he needs as a as a hero. So a great great setup, and I I love the fact that he just is so like you know nope was it, dead like it, like it's like it's, he's almost told it to himself like no Black Widow killed them. I right. know I, I loved it loved because. It effectively she did right did. because right, she was right. the one who gave him hope and pulled him out of what he was doing as ronin and he was never ronin again after that moment so in a way from a certain point of view it is true that natasha killed uh, ronin but that's not what actually happened and that's not clint barton atoning for fully atoning for what he's done and i think as we track this going forward in the series there are obvious reasons not to tell maya that he's the one who killed that he was ronin because he doesn't even know as you pointed out he doesn't even know this whole backstory he doesn't know who maya's father is and that that's someone that he killed as ronin he doesn't know that at this point but the the reason of course that he's not going to tell maya is there's a part of it where he doesn't want to admit it out loud just yet but as I said, there's the other issue of it would mean that he's going to die right, th- right then and there and never see his family again. So he does need to survive that moment. But at some point where maybe cooler heads might be able to prevail, there will be, I think the show will present an opportunity for Clint Barton to confess that he was in fact Ronan and confess it to Maya Lopez because she would be... Not that she was the only person affected by what Clint Barton did as Ronan, but she's the one that we see represented in this show. And so that's what she represents in the story. That's one of the purposes that she can serve as being the one where Clint Barton, somebody who Clint actually hurt as Ronan, he can confess his sins to her and then maybe find some path to redemption from there um, and maybe find a way to let go of, face the worst of what he's done and find a way to move on from it, which was very similar in different respects to what we talked about in the previous spoiler reviews, talking about Natasha's own journey and her redemption story a little bit in her movie that came out earlier this year. So the way that we have these stories of Natasha Romanoff and Clint Barton at different points in time, obviously, in the MCU, but still having these different paths to redemption for each of these characters, including actually saying out loud what they've done, admitting their worst mistakes aloud, and that is something that we still have to hear from Clint Barton. I mean, we already know the truth, 
Obviously, he admitted it to Natasha, but it now has to be admitted to those whom he actually impacted with doing all the terrible things he did as Ronan. And there's another moment there after this conversation about the identity of Ronan and the death of Ronan, where Maya gets fed up and she starts choking Kate Bishop, who at this point is still the number one Ronan suspect for Maya and for the tracksuit mafia, and Kazi ends up stopping her. This is a great acting moment by Haley Steinfeld because mm-hmm. this snaps her out of the adventure mindset of, isn't this fun to yes. be out here being a superhero with my hero, the guy who saved my life, my favorite Avenger. Here I am on this adventure with him, and isn't this so cool? Oh, crap, I'm really in danger here, aren't I? And all that wit, mm. all that sarcasm, all that playfulness just goes right out the window, and Haley Steinfeld plays it perfectly. She is genuinely terrified, as she should be, at what just happened, because this is a first. This is this is a part of it that she hasn't really experienced And so the reality of where she's at, the circumstances she's in, all of that sets in right then and there. And Haley Steinfeld plays it perfectly. Yeah, I I love Haley Steinfeld in in the series. I I love the portrayal of Kate Bishop. You know, again, she's a lot more funny in this series than I think she is in the comics. Um, And I'm a a Kate Bishop fan, Um, but in the comic books, too. So, but I love this version of the character. I think she does a fantastic job throughout this whole episode of all, again, balance. We talk about balance again. She's all over the place. And again, in a good way of what her range is as a character and Kate Bishop too. I think Kate is just, I really like her personality and her tenacity is really interesting. And, but seeing this kind of, and again, I think it works on both levels of like, again, uh, Kate's like, oh crap, I'm in over my head now. This mm-hmm. is not fun. And I think also for Clint to realize too that, you know, just how serious things are still for him and what Ronan in this whole thing, again, is kind of reminding him like, oh man, like this is, this is still like, this is serious. This is super, super serious. And I loved all of that. And it's all great. Again, more great setup for, I think, uh, I think Kate and Clint later on, as we get the action starts going on here in a little bit, which is great. So uh, it's it's really a great setup for, I think, Clint to do his heroics in this episode, which we'll get into. But yeah, great, great performance by Haley as always. Right. And that violence is kind of what triggers things for Clint Barton to know that it was time to free himself. He was already working on it anyway, but the situation was escalating very quickly. So Clint frees himself. And then the chase is on inside KB Toys. I just love that this was a KB Toys that they were into. I never saw KB Toys that big when I was growing up. They were always in a mall is where I usually saw Mm -hmm. KB Toys, but I still liked it. Anyway, we see since this is a toy shop slash warehouse, Clint weaponizes a teddy bear, which is the coolest weapon we've seen in the MCU since Okoye threw her wig in Black Panther a few years ago. (laughs) So I really like that. And then using the trampoline to like crash up into the office and and Maya Lopez uh, following behind Clint Barton and the little bow fight that they have there. And then as Clint is jumping out of there, he does that great spinning shot with the arrow that grazes Kazi's face and then also frees Kate Bishop. And then Clint dives into the ball pit for cover and then just goes all Hawkeye firing arrows everywhere. And meanwhile, Kate holds her own with a shopping cart and then does that cool little spin kick thing on the floor 
So this isn't even the chase sequence yet. This is just the initial escape from KB Toys, the release part of Catch and Release. And I thought this was a, a really, really great action sequence that, that ultimately only serves as a precursor to what's about to happen. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I think, again, the, I call it, I, I put all this action together, to be honest. But but yeah, the what we get, eventually get into, I love this stuff. And it was really cool to see Hawkeye kind of cut loose a little bit. Mm-hmm. We haven't really seen that in the movies as much. Be, I mean, and again, we've seen a little bit here or there, but no, because more targets are sir are saved for the other Avengers. He doesn't usually get to, you know, he doesn't get to, to take out as many people, other than maybe like some Ultron bots, some Chitari. So I mean, I guess he's had some shots there, but not like here this. Or there. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. You never got like the Hawkeye unleashed moment that this feels like. Thank you. This feels very much like X2, uh, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. Wolverine got to cut loose a little bit Uh finally, which again is one of my favorite, you know, superhero moments ever, I think, still after all these years. It's so good. God, Hugh Jackman's so good in that. Um, But it felt very similar to that in a way where it's like, it's like Clint's finally wanted to, or we want, Jimmy Renner has wanted to finally cut loose a little bit as Hawkeye, and we got to really see what Clint Barton's capable of. And there it is. I and mean, we see it, we see it here or there in, in the Avengers and stuff. And, and there's a couple of cool moments, but we get to really see him in action and what he can do. And it was really cool to see that. I mean, we'll see more of it obviously in this episode, but just, I think this is a great, great setup and got to see a lot of cool things that we don't, we haven't seen them, his specific uh, moves, if you will, uh, in the other films. And we got to see it on the screen. Finally it was really, really cool. I'm like, man, like, yeah, this is the Hawkeye I grew up reading in the comics. This is perfect. Like this is exactly what I love about the character so much is you know from the action standpoint. So, yeah, great great stuff here. I thought that was again really really good to have finally see the the real Hawkeye show up uh in this episode or in this in the MCU I should say from an action standpoint. For sure. And what also happened during that fight sequence is Maya did kick the hearing aid literally out of Clint Barton's head, and then she stepped on it and broke it. So he can't hear as they break outside and they go for the chase. And Kate wants to hop into the 72 Challenger. Clint Barton says no, that they're not going to smash that car. Eventually, it's going to get smashed. But that was the car that I think, I don't know if it's that exact car. That was the one that looks a lot more like the comic book, where there was a chase sequence with Clint Barton and Kate Bishop and firing trick arrows and all of that stuff. But that's not what they go for in this chase sequence. Maya ends up driving it. Clint can't hear. They they finally get in the car. He hot wires it and they take off. And we get, I don't know if it's a real oneer or probably a faux oneer that's kind of stitched together in little secret spots that's set to Christmas music as we get the initial just backing out of the parking lot and taking off down the street as the guns are firing in through the windows. Just a really, really great shot and a really great sequence to the start of the car chase. And we see the the trust a bro truck that we saw from the trailer, of course. And then the trick arrows start first with the putty arrow. And we get this recurring comedy bit that's happening that Clint is suggest is always suggesting the thing that Kate Bishop just said or just did, which <laughs> is important, right? Because it mm-hmm. shows that they are in sync in a lot of ways. They're thinking alike. They think a lot of the same things. But Kate is also just a little bit faster. Um, although I don't know that she chose the putty arrow, as she said, they're not exactly labeled, but, um, and they're both thinking it'd be better off to face the other way. And then then another trick arrow is the exploding arrow and apparently not even the most dangerous one that Clint Barton has. 
And then we see that it's Maya and Thomas in the Challenger, and we get a bunch of other arrows. We get the plunger arrow that becomes useful later on in the sequence. They go through a Christmas tree lot, and there's an arrow that snares a bunch of trees to the truck that Kazi and Yvonne are in. And Kate uh, is able to get her bow as the Challenger and their car and Clinton, uh, Kate's car side by side. We see the uh, Kate is able to get her bow, which initially Maya had. And then there's more trick arrows. There's a smoke arrow. The Challenger ends up getting totaled anyway. And then Kate and Clint do this trick shot on a bridge where Kate fires her arrow and Clint fires his, which he must have got from a friend. It connects with Kate's arrow to form a gigantic arrow that drops down and cuts the truck with Kazi and Ivan in half and also triggers an explosion. And I'm just thinking in my head the same thing that Kate Bishop said aloud. That was amazing. This whole sequence was amazing. So fast-paced, so fun, so funny. It all works so well, and then just setting it to the holiday music just heightened it even more. I was really impressed with this whole sequence. And I know it's it's easy to point out to me, like action sequences are always, you know, really impressive. They're hard. They're not easy to, you know, when you successfully can, you know, take one out or take, you know, take it up, put it on screen and, and put it and make it look decent. It's always a win, right? Cause those things are hard, 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 hard to pull off. Um, and so for me, when, when you're watching this, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things I'm taking in. Okay. There's one, the comic book, obviously it, it's influenced by that, you're, you're using that as your template essentially in some ways. And then you're also thinking about all the, all the great, you know, back and forth between the two characters. And again, you're setting up character beats and moments for, uh, each character that you're going to be you know touching on later on in the series and the episode. Great, great stuff. Again, really clever, great writing here, but uh, and I loved it. And I, it was really interesting because the whole trick arrow thing is such a, it's such a, what do you want to call it? Um, it's such a, a, a funny thing to, to make fun of, an easy thing to make fun of for like, like the green arrows and the Hawkeyes, you know, like there's like the, the famous, uh, uh, punching bat or a uh, boxing glove mm-hmm. arrow. I think green arrow had or whatever. I kept waiting for that one to show up. Um, and, but it was really cool to kind of see it like practically from the MCU and like why he would have those. And, it was also kind of cool for her to learn him and, and they know they exist. Like those kind of trick, funny, you know, stupid arrows exist. We, again, we haven't really seen that in the MCU really, except for you know, maybe a couple of explosive things here or there, which are, are more practical arrows, if you will, but putty arrows that are purple, um, you know, things like that. Like that's fun. Like that's fun stuff. And the pin arrow was awesome. Great moment. It, for me, the whole rate, the whole chase sequence it was really impressive, again, seeing Kate Bishop. You know, I know mm. a lot of it's green screen or whatever. Some of it's practical. But it was so it felt very seamless to me. And I thought that was really impressive. And I, I just think that it was – when you look at from the, where they, they take that inspiration from the comic books, but they don't just take it from the comic books. Again, what I love about the MCU is they make it their own thing. And they also use, I think, other films to influence, you know, and make their, you know, make their stuff as well. And it was cool and it was executed beautifully in so many, in so many ways. I don't love, I'll be, I'll be honest. The scene that we see at the, um, from the Disney plus day a couple of weeks ago that they show here that we see here, whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big, I didn't, I'm not, I don't love that. Like that's like my least favorite part of the entire thing. Um, there's, it just seems like it's, it's a little too over the top for that moment after what they're doing, but I get, they have to get out some way. So it's whatever. But besides that, I thought everything else was beautifully done and executed. And I, I, I felt very seamless, to be honest, because 
it's just it felt it, you felt the urgency. And I think when you're doing a car chase like that, what they're doing, it's hard to really execute that. And I just felt they did a, a beautiful job. Again, the last part, not my favorite, but everything else that was great. Yeah, if anyone ever has a chance to be on a set where you're filming anything action related, even the simplest things take a lot of detail, like a lot of time, a lot of preparation just to do stuff that is way, 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 way less complex than what they're doing in this series or what they do in Marvel series and movies in general. So I, I certainly have a very, very healthy respect for just how much time it takes and how much energy and effort they really put into a sequence that looks as good throughout as this episode looks. And then finding a way with the Pym Arrow, that's what's really exciting to, to me as far as the way they brought in a, a touch of the larger, kind of broader MCU in a way that just doesn't even take over the episode at all. Like, it doesn't become... It, it doesn't scream out, even though, like, this arrow is massive. It doesn't feel like one of those things that where it's just shouting at you, hey, this is part of the MCU, because it's still very relevant to the sequence that we're watching. So it doesn't feel forced... Or, or crammed in at all. Not that Marvel forces in stuff for the MCU. They're generally pretty good about it. But this is one of the best examples of including something from the broader universe that if we take a little more time and think about it, it makes sense because Clint was the one who went and got Scott, brought him into Civil War. So there was uh, establishing a relationship there. They had their arrow guy moment from Captain America Civil War during the airport fight. So they had that. And then I don't think they had much uh, contact while either one of them was on ho uh, house arrest. But clearly, they've been buds while uh, while they were at Avengers Compound organizing the time heist. And then probably since Avengers Endgame have probably had some contact. So that whole idea of incorporating this other aspect of the MCU. And you don't usually get as many Ant-Man references throughout the MCU as we had yeah. in uh, as we got with this here. But I thought the way they included it was great because it really didn't shift focus to the it acknowledged the broader MCU without shifting focus to it. And we stayed focused on this sequence because it didn't end there. It's not like the gigantic arrow that splits the truck ends the chase sequence. They still have to make their getaway, which is where the plunger arrow comes back into effect and Kate holding everyone at bay with the most useless arrow, the USB arrow. Fine. Uh, and so, uh, but it works. It, it stalls everybody for long enough for Clint to be successful in getting that. And I, I know you mentioned not liking that sequence at the end as much with the jump off the bridge and, and swinging back through. I loved it because as a character moment, it works very right. well. It is literally Kate getting to relive the experience right. that of when she first saw Clint Barton, when he first saved her life. It's that move. And now she's doing it with him. And so with what that moment would mean to her as the whole dream come true of being a superhero, that's the part that made it really stand out to me. So I agree from a just purely from a visual standpoint, maybe not as polished or as cool looking as some of the other stuff that we saw. Yeah. But I will forgive that for the sake of the character stuff where it was just on that level. It worked wonderfully as a way to be the end, the finale of this chase sequence, because this is kind of her first big, true superhero adventure with Clint Barton, and it ends this way. I don't think Kate Bishop could have dreamt a better ending for her first adventure with Clint Barton than this, although I guess you could also argue 
that the adventure is still uh, is still ongoing. But they get on the subway train and uh, they have a seat. And there was a little poster on the the train where it's saying, "Are you feeling like there are no options?" Although I think it drops the mm. word "r" from there. We are training and helping families move forward together. It doesn't have to be this hard. And that little poster, I, I don't know if it's supposed to be one of the like post-blip therapy posters, outreach posters that we've seen in other things like Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, but it's also applicable to what's happening right now with the family dynamics that are so complex amongst so many of these characters, including Clint Barton and Haley Steinfeld having a seat right there. And I like that they're each in their own time, in their own way, coming to, coming to the realization that the dog's been cooped up and they should probably take it out for a walk. Um, but Clint also has a great moment there, and it's a, a very good moment for Kate Bishop as she advertised herself as the world's greatest archer. Well, now Clint is saying she's not wrong in calling herself one of mm. the world's greatest archers. And then we cut to, uh, they're at their, their safe house that was established, of course, back in the last episode, and Clint is, um, and we see that uh, we, not what we see, there's music playing, but the way they have this transition works so well, where then it cuts to what Clint hears, or rather what he doesn't, as he goes into the kitchen, and we kind of hear the faint sound of a phone vibrating, and it's Laura, or at least that's what Clint sees, that Laura is calling him, and he's asking if she can text, but Kate overhears this, and points out that it's actually a little boy who's calling. So this is Nathaniel or Nate who is calling his dad. Why? Because Nate woke up before everyone else in the house and he's bored. So that is a thing that little kids will do. They will call you when they're bored. So we get this uh, moment here where I we talked before about the opening sequence, the flashback between Maya and her father. And then I mentioned how at another point in the episode, we get another very sweet, very tender moment, and this is it, where Kate is, because Clint can't hear, but doesn't want to let on to his son that he can't hear, Kate transcribes the call, letting Clint know what Nate is saying, and we find out that Clint is going, as we continue our countdown of missed Christmas events for Clint Barton, he is going to miss the Christmas movie marathon. He already missed the making of the gingerbread house, now he's missing the movie marathon, and he has to hope he can make it in time for the ugly Christmas sweater party. And Nate says, the most heartbreaking thing of the episode is that it's okay if dad can't make it home for Christmas. And mm. Clint tears up, Kate tears up, we all tear up because, yep. oh, sweet little Nate is ready to give his dad a pass for not making it, uh, not making it home for Christmas. And this was such an extraordinary, beautiful, touching, human scene. And instantly one of my favorite scenes in the MCU, one of my favorite scenes of the year for sure. It's the simplest of, it's just the simplest of conversation between a father and his young son that reveals so much and goes well beyond being a cure for little Nathaniel's boredom. This is what's at stake for Clint Barton and what's always been at stake for him his family, the time with them, and he's lost so much. I mean, they were gone for five years, but all the time he's away doing all of his avenging, which his wife supports, but it still means that he's away. So he's lost so much. And now he's losing more at a moment when he thought he was finally going to be getting some of that time with his family. This was going to be the Christmas that he would be able to spend with his family and do all the things that people do 
when uh, around Christmas time together with their family, this was the time that Clint Barton was supposed to be able to do that, and he can't. And his family will always forgive him for it. His wife supports the Avenging, and Nate has already given him uh, permission to miss Christmas if he has to, and it's it's okay uh, because they know and they respect what Clint Barton does, and they respect that he's always out helping other people. When he's missing time with them, it's because he's helping other people. But that doesn't make Clint feel okay about it because he's still missing this time that he treasures with his family. And then on the other side of this, for Kate Bishop, mm-hmm. first and foremost, being there for Clint and Nate in this moment. She's there for both of them, and she's feeling this moment with them and understanding what Clint is sacrificing to help her, which she points out in the diner in uh, a couple scenes away from this. But now she's fully accepting and understanding everything that Clint is really giving up in order to help her. And there's no doubt that, uh, also for Kate, there's no doubt that this moment has her thinking about her own relationship with her father, because we saw how special that was when we were introduced to her in a flashback sequence when she was a kid, how close she was with her dad, a point that she reiterates later on in this episode. She knows how precious time is because you don't always get a chance to make up for it when it's lost. And so her appreciating all of that in this moment while also just helping out her hero and her friend in Clint Barton, it's so sweet, it's so happy, it's so sad, it's all just so endearing, and I love it. Uh, special shout out to the Kinks uh, song that they were playing. I love that Christmas song a lot. Me and my wife blasted it the other day for our Christmas uh, decorating that my, my daughter eventually uh, pushed the tree over just an hour later. Anyway, um, back to, which I got, again, great Christmas song. Uh, what I loved about this, this, this part the most is probably, again, all of it's touching and, and, and expected as far as, you know, what the set, what the setup is for, you know, Clint Barton and, and all his, the fact that he's away from his family. But what I liked about it was the fact that Kate had no choice, but you know, to, was trying to help out and transcribe what's going on. But with all that said, it's it, like what you said, Sean, it's emphasizing for her what exactly is, is at stake here. Like, it's not just, you know, his life, but it's, it's also his time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as, as we both get older, we we both know we talked about it before the show, right? How valuable time is, and how that that is such a that is something that people just as when they're younger they don't really understand. And I think that um, when you get older, you understand it a lot more. And that's something I definitely understand more as I get older. And I think for Kate, you see that realization there. What exactly is going on? The fact that yes, this time that he's spending away from his family. It's, you know, it's, yeah, he's an Avenger, but there's a, again, a whole idea of consequences, right? Like we mm-hmm. set that up later on. Like there's consequences to being Ronan. Well, there's consequences to being Hawkeye too. And right now Kate's getting all that in like up front and close, right? In fact, that she almost dies, right? Okay. That's, that's a big one. You don't want to, you know, that's a big, big risk, right? A big, a big, uh, a big consequence. Well, now you sacrifice your family time. And even though she doesn't have family at this moment of, of her own, that this is the reality of it. And I think that is very much you're seeing the, the the pros and cons of being a superhero. You got to see the the fun, cool, fun stuff, you know. But now in this episode, she's seeing the physical and emotional ramifications a little bit of of that happening. So, again, great writing and a great performance by Haley that you know as she's like you know trying to help out and, and feel like she's kind of contributing to this like conversation. She's kind of the more she realizes like oh. 
God, this is bad. Like, this is not good. And it was a great thing to see um, them kind of uh, address that, that the fact that she's realizing that what's what, what's at stake for Clint is not just his what he's going for, the whole Ronan thing and clearing her name, but mm-hmm. what he what he has to do with his family. And that that's, again, a, a big issue. Right. And it's not just what he's risking losing. It's what he's just he's actively losing right now. Exactly. He's not there when little Nate wakes up before everybody else and is bored. That might have been a moment that Clint would have been there with his son. Or the Christmas movie marathon, as cheesy as it may be, it's that family being together and Clint is saying he's going to miss it. So these are the things that Clint is just not going to get to be a part of because he's over here helping Kate, which it's a decision that Clint Barton would make 10 times out of 10 because it's the right thing to do. Is to help is to help Kate Bishop through this and clear her name as Ronan because that's not who she is and that he certainly can't let Kate die for his sins whether he's ready to admit everything that he's done or not. So it is the right thing that Clint Barton is doing, but it still involves sacrifice as he'll talk about in a little bit. So we'll save it for that. But such an amazing moment between these characters and Kate Bishop recognizing that, appreciating that. And also just, as I said, helping out. And I think that's part of where, when she's talking about the sacrifice that she's making, that it's not just Clint Barton who's missing out. Nate is missing out. And I think she exactly. feels that too. How would mm-hmm. I have felt if my dad couldn't be there for some of the fun stuff we would do around Christmas time? If, if we didn't get to do that, this is how it would have made me feel. And I think she feels maybe a little bit guilty about that. But really, it's mm-hmm. just more about fully appreciating the bond that Nate and Clint have and being reminded of the bond that she had with her father. And uh, it just makes her appreciate what Clint Barton is doing for her with her that much more. So then we go back to KB toys as the tracksuit mafia. They are moving out because this hideout is blown. Kazi is pointing out that this is a problem. They're supposed to be keeping a low profile and that's not exactly what happened today. And Kazi is worried that uncle We'll find out we know who Uncle is, or we think we know who Uncle is, and Kazi says he wouldn't be happy. Maya points out that this is about avenging her father, and Kazi Mm. makes the argument that her father always put the crew first, meaning Maya isn't necessarily putting the crew first. She's prioritizing her revenge over what actually is good for the crew right now, but Maya is not interested in entertaining that thought, especially the idea of Kazi trying to be the one to use her father to say what is what is the right thing to do. She's the one who lost her father to Ronan. So she shuts that down, reminding Kazi of who's in charge. So a good family dynamic there that we get between Maya and Kazi, but also it shows how they how Kate Bishop is not the only one who's in over her head, as we talked about mm. with what she was going through. This is not really what they do, as Clint Barton talks about a little bit later on the episode. They're kind of small time, low profile. And now they're in this, now they're in an open fight in public with an Avenger. And not just any Avenger, an original six Avenger. Yes, he's Hawkeye, but Hawkeye's cool, as this series proves. So yes, they are openly in a fight in public with an Avenger. And that's not necessarily the thing you want to do if you want to keep a low profile. And that is where, that of course is where Kazi's concern comes into this. 
I'm pretty sure Uncle will find out. How could Uncle not find out? It's probably going to be on the news or on people's phones that there was Hawkeye in a fight on a bridge with exploded with giant exploding arrows and everything else. So I think everybody who everybody's going to find out about what's happening here. But I also think that the line that Kazi said about her father putting the crew first speaks to the in the heightened reality that we're dealing with here how everything's not quite so black and white as Ronan operated. You're in this place where bad things happen. That's part of a criminal organization. If you're here, you're a bad person and I take you out. We already saw a different side of William Lopez in that flashback sequence, but even what Kazi is pointing out here, putting the crew first, for all we know, William Lopez didn't really want to work for Kingpin or whoever this other person is. Maybe it was something he felt forced into. And by the way, Wilson Fisk is a character notorious in the comic books, and I think we saw in Daredevil as well, the Netflix series, notorious for making people do business with him, whether they want to or not. So that's also part of it. Mm -hmm. Now, it seems like there was a little bit more of a relationship there. I mean, certainly having Wilson Fisk uh, take his daughter home, for example, so there was a certain amount of bond or, or trust there, or maybe that was intimidation as well. We don't really totally understand the dynamic, uh, the relationship between uh, between William Lopez and whoever this person is, Kingpin or not Kingpin, but it, it points to this not necessarily being the easiest relationship. For example, if it was purely family that we were talking about with this uncle, why be so afraid of him? They are mm -hmm. because it's not really, it's not exactly family. Right. But she, and, but I think what's also interesting is that she's not that phased by it as much as Kazi is. And that to me is interesting. I mean, she probably, she's a phased by it, but not like he is. And, and I think she'd be thinking more along the lines of uncle, um, or more along along the lines of them if she wasn't close to him, right? So I think there there's a difference. There is going to be some kind of closeness between, obviously, because she calls him uncle. That's that's a that's a big deal. And I, that's a that's a title I hold very you know very dear to me as I have many nieces and nephews of mine. Mm -hmm. um, and you know I, I take it very seriously. And I think most people who you know who are even if they're not a biological uncle. Um, that you hold that title very seriously if someone calls you that and or, or they refer to you as that. So I think there's I think there is a connection. Uh, there's going to be a closeness between them, but I don't think Maya doesn't have that same fear that Kazi has. But I think it's going to become a big deal because I think she may. We're probably going to get to the point where whoever this uncle is, it's gonna it's gonna come to the point where he's going to become or the the thing that she didn't hasn't seen before and that side of him that like makes her go oh wait this is not a good situation and it's pro probably going to have Kazi be that that person in in you know who's going to be etched up a notch or whatever you know you know we uh, from what, what we understand that he, he he could be playing the clown um that is was introduced in the uh the Hawkeye series you know and that very much very could happen so I did like this scene. I, I thought it was really interesting to, to see, mm -hmm. you know, two people communicate through sign language and it was a very intense situation. And I, it was really cool to see that kind of played out through sign language, to be quite honest, and having subtitles and, and, and having that and great acting on both actors by doing that. I thought it was really, really cool personally. Yeah, it is. And, and I think that in, as far as the term uncle, that can take on different meanings here. One is right. Wilson Fisk could say, call me uncle. 
you know, like if he wanted to have sure. that title, like this is how you'll respect me and we'll consider us to have a close personal relationship, even if maybe we don't. But also in, you know, in certain cultures, like in Native American, indigenous culture, uncle can also refer to an elder. And, and so like it, it, it isn't necessarily, it is a title of respect quite often, but it isn't necessarily, it doesn't always mean a direct biological connection, but it certainly is a term that, that carries some weight and maybe not exactly the weight that it should, as there's a lot of fear associated with this, as we saw right. uh, in this scene. And then we cut to uh, Clint and Kate chilling with Pizza Dog, and she sends him a text, good thing they call you Hawkeye and not Hawk Ear, which was funny. And uh, they get Clint's uh, hearing aid fixed, although he doesn't have it in as they go to the diner and Kate recaps their experience, but he doesn't need to hear it, and we don't need to hear it because we just saw it. And then as they're talking about it, Kate says that she's dreamt of this and she talks about how we get her talking about her dad and how her dad was always helping people, how he was fearless and she wanted to do that. She wanted to be like that. And she says, when I put that suit on, I thought, this is it. This is the moment I become who I'm supposed to be. And Clint talks about how there was a time when he once thought the same thing but he explains how this life comes with a price, a lot of sacrifices, some things you'll lose forever. And we've seen that, right? We have seen the things that Clint has lost. We have seen the things that he has lost forever, like his best friend, Natasha Romanoff, and we're still seeing it. So what he's losing now with his family, and there are certain things that you lose forever, right? As Simple as they may be, these were experiences that Clint was looking forward to and that he treasured that he has missed. He's lost the gingerbread house forever. They could make it next year, but it won't be the same as whatever they did this year. Same thing for the Christmas movie marathon. And there are bigger things, obviously, that Clint Barton has lost forever, but it points to that, that there are sacrifices. You don't always get things back. A lot of times you don't. And it's a fair warning to Kate Bishop that she really should take to heart, that if this is what you want to do, if this is what you think is your dream, understand that it comes at a very high cost, which Kate should understand to some extent, especially after the conversation she helped transcribe, right? Losing mm -hmm. that time with, uh, with family, with Nate. But she's not fully equipped to hear it because how could she be? She hasn't lost these things yet. And it's really still fun superhero mode at, at this point. There are moments where things got real, as we saw earlier in the episode, but there's still a lot of just excitement and adrenaline for Kate right now. Trick arrows and cool costumes, that's what it's all about right now, and that's what she says there are things that you gain, like trick arrows and cool costumes. Speaking of which, Paul, you finally got oh. it. Not really, but you oh, got a classic man. Hawkeye design, and... Mm. I as soon as I saw it, I was like, "Oh, yep. I don't think Paul's gonna like this." Because nope. Look, yeah. I I have to say that I I, I got to be consistent here, right? If I'm gonna be an umpire calling the MCU, it doesn't matter how big or small your strike zone is, you just got to call it the same way every time. So I mentioned a couple weeks ago how I wasn't thrilled with the whole Doctor Octopus thing and like your name's Otto Octavius as they were making fun of the silliness of the name in the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer, it's a fine line between being irreverent and just flat out making fun of the thing. This, like the Otto Octavius remark in the No Way Home trailer, 
leans a little too far into the just straight laughing at thing. Yes. So the classic Hawkeye costume is cool. And uh, it, I understand why it's not in the MCU. And Clint Barton does a good job explaining why it's not in the MCU. But eh, maybe there's a better way to do it. But look, it didn't offend me that much. It certainly didn't get in the way of my enjoyment of this episode. And I, I did like Kate's drawing. So I'll, I'll, I'll yes. go with that. So there's, this is probably the, the least, the, the most dislike I have of, of all the episodes is this one scene and you nail it right there. And I, I had full rage when I watched it for many different reasons. And those who've listened to our show for a long time, know that you guys know me, you guys know, I love costumes. That's why I love superheroes. And that's why I don't love, you know, the Netflix series of hoodies and, and everything for every episode for till the last episode of daredevil. Um, but I, I digress. The thing about the scene you nail though, is it's not played for, you know, building or, or whatever character mm. building it's more of just like let's get a laugh let's make fun of the hawkeye costume which right i just it pisses me off because i love that costume to death like i love it and i just it, it irritates me because I, i've always said that it felt like jeremy renner was the reason why it wasn't it it wasn't there and i still believe that to this day and i'll never forget the snl skit that he was on right after the avengers and he wore his costume and he I, I it felt like they were going that the ultimate vibe that was the vibe that you know the ultimate comic book line and that version of the character a little bit more um i don't know the i didn't read the ultimates past the first six issues so bear with me um but the costume was definitely lifted completely from that and he wore these stupid purple glasses that the character wore. And I think that he was always meant to wear those. And then I think they probably thought they were so bad. They're like, no, get that crap out of here. Let's just, just don't wear anything. And, and I do think his costume, it definitely got better. Um, later on, like I think the, the age of Ultron costume was much, much cooler because it looked, it's pretty much the, the regular costume minus the mask. Um, yeah, I just, I, I like the mask. I think the mask, you could make it work. I've, I've gone on record said why I'll just say this. I, think it might be cool and maybe they're foreshadowing sean that maybe, maybe. Kate bishop might wear the costume huh? which or might they make both will i mean I, I don't know okay okay i okay. i don't know like we know that clint barton is going to have a more advanced look than what we've seen so far we're mostly in the series he's just been wearing his street clothes very netflix style so that's why kingpin fits in this series but exactly that's a matter of circumstances that works within the story. So I, I don't have an issue with it. And Kate is still in superhero territory with the costume that she was wearing throughout this episode. And of course, at the end of episode two. So I'm good with it for where we're at now, costume wise. And it does seem like maybe we're, we're building towards something like all this talk about branding can't be for nothing. So we are building toward, I think, a more comic book-esque Hawkeye costume. And maybe there's a final look for this series that we haven't seen any of in any trailers, posters, anything that will go even beyond to be more superhero-esque, more comic book-esque for Clint Barton and or Kate Bishop. And if that happens, it would be really, really cool. And I, I think the part of it where it just it laid it on a little thick when Clint was talking about how his wife would divorce him if he wore that costume. No, she would not. And I will not accept this slander of Laura Barton. She fully supports his avenging. She made that clear in Avengers Age of Ultron. There is no way she would divorce him for wearing that costume. But then the the conversation gets a little meta there when they're talking about the costume. When Kate says, what if it was all black? 
And I know that Hawkeye has had black costumes in the comic books, but I feel like it was about more than that. I think Mm -hmm. it was also just about that tendency from Batman in 1989 through the 90s and even through a lot of the, the 2000s of when in doubt, have a black costume. That's it. Just get rid of the colors because we're worried that that's going to freak people out when they watch these movies. So go with like black faux leather armored type of look and let just stick with that because we know audiences will dig that because if my, they, if they thought Michael Keaton looked great in it, they'll think anybody looks great in it. Not true. Michael Keaton's amazing in his own way. But that was the tendency, right? Was to just that was the mm. cheat code for superhero movie adaptations in the 90s and 2000s was to just go with a black costume. So I felt like that's what that question was really about. And uh, I had, so that part of the conversation, as I said, as a fan of the history of the genre, <laughs> I was very much in, uh, in favor of that question being asked and I enjoyed it. Um, and then uh, we see that, or Clint is also explaining other reasons though. And this is where the lack of a costume and his, his resistance to that idea is a lot more emotionally grounded and, and therefore a lot more satisfying as a viewer for uh, for the story. I mean, he does talk about how the whole idea of, you know, the goal has been to not be recognizable, but Kate rightfully points out he, he failed at that. I mean, really, he failed at that a long time ago. From the moment Clint Barton became a full-fledged Avenger, he was free to wear a full-fledged costume at any point. So for the last however many years in the MCU, he could have had a costume. He didn't need to be a ghost as he was describing it. But the real heart of it, I think anyway, is when Kate is talking about, you know, Kate talks about how she knows why, or she must know why Clint doesn't want to expose the identity of the Ronin because it's his, it's someone he's close to and it's his job to keep the Ronin's identity secret. And that's an opportunity for Clint to confess. He could at least tell Kate hey, the reason you're kind of in this trouble or part of the reason, I mean, part of the big part of the reason is your actions, Kate Bishop, but the other part of it is me. I'm Ronan. These are things I did. I did the things that Maya Lopez wants to avenge, and that's why, that's the real reason why we are in this mess is because of my actions as Ronan, and he is not making that confession here, at least not directly. But when they talk about the costume... Then he finds a way to make, I wouldn't call it a confession, but that is him hinting at what he has going on that's allowed, that's making him feel guilty is when he says that the third reason he's not wearing a costume like that is because he's not a role model. And Kate argues mm. that he is because in her eyes, he certainly is. There's no question about that. He is and has been a role model for her. But we, of course, know why Clint Barton doesn't believe that he's a role model. And Kate is summing up the sacrifices that Clint is making for her, recognizing the conversation that she helped transcribe and everything that she's just witnessed that Clint Barton is giving up and sacrificing and risking in order to help her. All of those things are true that make Clint Barton a role model and a hero. But Clint's reason for not thinking he's a role model is also true and something that he has to reconcile at some Mm -hmm. point in this story So that's where confession time is going to happen. And based on the way this series has handled the emotional moments that we have seen, especially the two big ones that we saw in this episode between Maya and her father, as well as the one between 
between uh, Clint uh, Clint Barton, Kate Bishop, and little Nate Barton, although he wasn't really... He was in the scene without really being in the scene. Um, based on how they handled those sequences in this episode, whenever we get that moment where Clint Barton has to come clean about what he did as Ronan, I suspect it's going to be very, very powerful and, and one of the best scenes in this entire series. Yeah, what they're setting up thematically-wise, and again, I love me some themes, um, There, there's really cool stuff here. And I think not just for, again, Clint Barton, but I think for Kate Bishop, I think for her to realize the ideas of, you know, role models and what she says, you're a role model. And she's going to realize that your role models aren't perfect. And I think that's an important thing for her. I think this whole world is, is, is a whole series about the life is what she wants is not this ideal life. It's not perfect. And then this is an, it will be another thing. It will be a big thing because this is someone she's loved and, and, and admired and based her whole like life around essentially, you know, and mimicking um, is going to realize that he's made some terrible mistakes. And what does she do with that? What does that mean? Does she lose respect for him completely? Does she, you know, and this also is, it's a greater theme for all of us about people we look up to when they make mistakes. What do they, what do you do? You know, when you, they finally admit they've done something that's, you know, not a really awful thing. You know, and I think there's lots of really interesting things here that I'm really looking forward to, like like you said, Sean, showcasing what exactly that means for Kate, for for Clint, and I think for Echo. So I, there's lots of really great stuff here I can't wait to see revealed. And again, it goes to the, the credit of the writers of the show, and then three episodes in, and we have, we're halfway through, I think it's only six episodes, I could be wrong, hope it's more, but who knows, uh, at least for me. Uh, I I'm really loving what they're setting up here. And I, I think there's a lot of emotional weight that I was not expecting necessarily from the show. And I'm loving it M amidst all the fun action stuff we're getting. Lots of emotional things. And I think, uh, again, the camera work has been great. Uh, I want to point out the scenes where they're looking straight at the camera when he is not hearing her. And it's like you're, you're focusing on the lips and everything. And you're, it emphasizes how the struggle is for him to you know listen you know to, to understand her and i just love it it really gives a real extra dynamic to it and some of the angles they use it's just really really cool i thought it was really interesting of the whole head-on angle that they use for both clint and for kate um during that whole scene a great great scene minus the old comic book thing or costume thing that i'm not a big fan of but everything else i thought was awesome Right. And I think the drawing helps save some of the disrespect for the uh, yes. classic agree. Agree. Hawkeye look. And yes. I saw the writers tweeting about it and they said that this was kind of their way of acknowledging the classic Hawkeye costume. So it's fine. Like it's, and as I said, it, it kind of leaned in, in some moments there in a direction I, I don't totally love, but overall the conversation was great. Overall the episode was great. So just please ignore my, my little nitpick there. So they continue on in uh, we continue on our story or as Clint goes to pick up the check because Kate Bishop, remember, mom canceled her credit card because of the whole clock slash bell tower thing. So anyway, uh, Kate is trying to come up with names for pizza dog. She offers up Little Caesar, Dog Father and Sir Dog of Pizza and Pizza Dog doesn't respond to any of those, but smiles and gets a treat for Pizza Dog. So that shall be the name for now. And uh, then we get a reference to as Kate and Clint go for a walk. We get another reference to the guy at the top. So Clint is explaining the humble beginnings of the tracksuit mafia, saying they started small but grew. There's a guy at the top. He'll do anything to grow the operation. And Kate is saying, I thought Maya was the boss. And Clint says, no, there's someone above Maya, someone you don't want to mess with. So another reference to this big boss, uncle, figure, whoever it may be, who is probably Wilson Fisk. 
it just makes uh, a lot of sense. And then Kate is thinking that all of this has to be connected because another funny moment at the diner was her talking about, oh yeah, and then there's my mom's fiance like killing a guy. And Clint's like, yeah, so there's, there's that too. And so Kate thinks it's all connected, that Jack must be connected to the tracksuit mafia because they are the ones who broke into, uh, they're the ones who broke into the black market auction. But remember at that time, they were looking for a watch. They were not looking for the Ronin suit or the Ronin sword. Unless, of course, looking for the watch was a cover so that Jack could, in the chaos, get the Ronin sword that he really wanted, which he did do. So as we keep driving through the different conspiracy theories, eh, you know, Jack may indeed be involved in this, but I think Eleanor uh, Bishop, Kate's mom, is also still firmly on the list of suspects. Maybe it's both of them. I don't know. Maybe that's why they get along and they're engaged. Uh, We shall see. But Kate decides that they'll have an easier time using the Bishop security servers if they're doing so, if they're accessing information from mom's penthouse. So they go there and they find out that Kazi is affiliated with Sloan Limited. And Sloan Limited maybe is a reference to, I think from, as some people have pointed out, that you have, so it's not like we're the only ones talking about it. As people pointed out, Sloan Limited might be a reference to the CEO of Alchemex, which was a company that was owned by Wilson Fisk in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse in 2018. So it could be a reference to Wilson Fisk. That's probably where things are going. But Clint starts wandering around the house as uh, as Kate is doing this investigation. And then Clint ends up having a sword at his throat, his old sword, the Ronin sword. It is being held by the one and only Jack Duquesne. And they immediately cut to the credits, so we don't get to know, does Jack Duquesne recognize Clint Barton? Does Clint recognize Jack? Do they know each other from any previous interactions as they did in the comic books? We don't know. We will find out, presumably in the very next episode, but we can't tell what's going on there. And does this mean that Jack is evil? Not necessarily, because... Kate and Clint Barton were not expected at the house and nobody knew they were going to show up. So for all we know, from Jack's perspective, Clint is an intruder. And this is just defending the home for Jack Duquesne. This is all self-defense for Jack. I don't know, but I'm sure we will get some answers fairly quickly in the, in the opening scene or sometime early into the fourth episode of Hawkeye. But I, I liked this ending to uh, kind of leave us hanging on that, especially as fans who maybe know a little bit from the comic books of whether or not there is going to be any sort of Jack and Clint thing that's part of Clint's origin story becoming Hawkeye and everything in the MCU, like there is that connection in the comic books. We have no idea just based on how this episode ends. Yeah, I I did. I like the fact that he's using the Ronin sword to like uh, up against uh, Hawkeye. And I'm, I, I do love the fact that for us who know the characters, we know that Swordsman and Hawkeye have an origin or in the comic books, they have a connection. So what I'm kind of hoping they have a connection here. I'll be, I'd be fine with loose. It doesn't have to be one for one, but I would, I would, I would really like to have some kind of connection that way. He'd be like, Oh, Clint. And like, and he's like, Oh God, you again, like, or not you again, but like oh, mm-hmm. you, I would love something like that where she's like, wait a minute, you know, Jack. And he's like, Oh, and then it makes it automatically makes the fact that with like Hawkeye isn't like this guy's scum, but he's actually like, oh, this guy's annoying, but he's not an awful person. He's not a killer. Then that would immediately make 
you know, Kate question herself, which would be interesting. Like right. maybe her instincts are as good. So I'm kind of hoping for that, but I, this show has been written so well that I I'll take anything. Cause at this point, because they're, they're great, but I, I think that's a, a very likely possibility, but if I'm wrong, that's cool too. It could be a point of contention between Clint Barton and Kate Bishop because they've been getting along almost too well so far. And something should come up that kind of tests this early friendship and and bond between the two of them. And I know there's been their moments where, of course, Clint would rather that Kate would just kind of stay put so he could clear her name and, and not make the situation any worse. There's that, but they haven't had a real philosophical argument with one another just yet. They've been getting along for the most part, and this could be an interesting way of testing that if Clint Barton knows Jack and he says Jack's okay, like Jack wouldn't do what you think he does, what you thought he did, and Kate's like, no, he's still a suspect. Well, then there's an argument that the two of them could be having with each other, and we will ultimately see who's right. There's the other part, though, where maybe Kate, if... For example, there is a prior relationship between Clint Barton and Jack Duquesne, and let's say that Clint Barton does trust Jack, and it's a very positive interaction that they have next week, and Kate buys into that, says, okay, if my hero slash role model says Jack is okay, then I believe that, and I I will let Clint Barton vouch for Jack, and, and I will take him off of my list of suspects. That might be the show's way of throwing us off the scent of Jack and then bringing him back and saying, no, he really was involved. Uh, and that would be a way of accomplishing that. I don't really know. What I did like that I can say right now without having to worry about what's going to happen next week is just that visual, the symbolism of that visual in an episode that was teetering on the brink of or presenting, presenting Clint Barton with these opportunities to confess what he's done. When Maya is talking to him about Ronan, when Kate is talking to him about Ronan and Clint avoids the truth in those moments, you literally end the episode with the truth being at his throat. The sword he used to do all the terrible things he did as Ronan is now held at his very own throat to end the episode. Visually, that symbolism is awesome. It's a great, very poetic way to end this episode. I, I loved it so much. And this entire episode, I loved so much, like to the point where I'm I'm like dancing along as Sammy Davis Jr. is is singing fresh out of the pan, sweet gingerbread man, as they would go through the titles of this episode. (laughs) I just had so much fun, so much joy watching this episode while also having that emotionally engaging experience with the flashback with Maya's origin story and then what we had with that moment on the phone with Nate with Clint and with Kate, all of those moments together and the thrilling action sequence that we got in this episode. As I said, closer to the top of, of this uh, of this podcast, all the things that I felt like this one was doing so many of the things that I love about the MCU and have loved about the MCU for 13 coming up on 14 years now. Jeez. It's doing so many of those things so well in this episode and it's so seamless as it's going through the as it's putting the story and these characters and us as an audience through these different paces it's all handled so well this is just expert master level direction acting writing everything came together beautifully in this episode i can't say enough good things about it but we do just have to stop the podcast at some point 
Yeah, no, absolutely. The show has been nothing but short of just great, great, great storytelling, fun. And I, I've enjoyed it. I, I really have a hard time finding things I don't like about it. And there's like maybe a few nitpicks here or there, but I've really enjoyed the, uh, the themes are bringing into the show. And I think the, the really cool just ideas of, of mentorship and new care, introducing new characters like you know, Kate Bishop and echo. I mean, like those are two major characters in the Marvel comic books, man. I mean, like mm-hmm. that's not a, that's not like a something to you know sneeze at like, Oh, yeah, who cares? No, that's a big deal. Like they're introducing two major characters. So, um, it, I don't know. It's been a really, really fun series. I, I've just been thoroughly enjoyed, you know, what we're getting. So I, yeah, bring on more. I agree. I can't wait to see more of this. And wow, we're already halfway through this series. It feels weird because we just had the series premiere last yeah. week. So because by virtue of getting two episodes at once and there only being uh, six episodes total, well, three's the halfway point. So here's where we are with this series. But it's been so fast paced that I feel like this this whole series in so many ways, it feels like a sprint, but it does know where and when to slow things down just to get the right points across in the right moments as it did in some of those pivotal scenes that we saw in this one that really gave uh, the emotional weight to this super fun uh, story that just kind of breezed by with how uh, how fast paced it all was, but not at the expense of getting to the emotional truth that these characters are experiencing. So I I really, really loved it. Hopefully you all loved the episode of Hawkeye just as much as we did and also enjoyed this podcast. You can hear more from us at Fanshow Plus. So as I mentioned in the intro, as I always mention with the shameless plug of Fanshow Plus, you want to hear us talk more about the MCU or non-MCU stuff, you can subscribe to Fanshow Plus at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts if you search for the MCU Fanshow channel or Fanshow Plus on Apple Podcasts. You can become a premium subscriber and have access to that podcast. And then as always, make sure you are following us at MCU Fanshow on Instagram and Twitter. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two M's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also find me on the YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. Please subscribe. I just dropped a new MCU-required reading with my buddy Chris, and we talk about uh, Avengers comic books and the current Eternals comic book series as well, and we kind of dive into those uh, things. And don't spoil anything, but we kind of go into it and... Yeah, go check that out, and uh, I'll be doing some cool Spider-Man stuff next week. Uh, I have some hyped. If you're hyped for Spider-Man No Way Home and into the Spider or across the Spider-Verse, I should say, uh, is yeah, I'll have some couple comic book series here to read. But you get you all stoked about that uh, next week as well on the comic binge. So yeah, check those out. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.